This is a podcast about our lived experience, which unfortunately includes infant death and subsequent mental health struggles. Please take good care of yourself and only listen if this content feels safe for you right now. We'll still be here when you're ready. The death of my son, moving three times in six months, my parents' divorce, my husband's job loss. I was, you know, 12 weeks postpartum, my then husband came out to me as transgender. And just a couple weeks later, um, our son suddenly died. But I started shaking and sobbing and heaving and I couldn't breathe and I was, you blacked out. I blacked out. Okay. So we're ready. So hi everyone. This is Aiden's mom, Judith. And this is Alina's mom, Quinn. Quinn's (laughs) Quinn's mom, (laughs) Alina. (laughs) And this is As Long As I'm Living. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about triggers. Um, I think it might be helpful to define what a trigger means. A, because if you haven't experienced one, you might not know. Yeah. But also it might be different for us. And I just want to make sure we're using the same language. Sure. So when you say trigger, yeah, I can Google what it means. Cause I'm not actually, sh- uh, what do you mean? And I'll Google what it means. And we'll see. I, f- I feel like I, to me, a trigger is something I, I take in some stimulus and it sets me off into fight or flight for for no real, I'm using air quotes, no real reason. I would just add to that spontaneous. Like it's, yes. not, it's not controllable. How about that? Correct. It's not controllable. Like yes. the feeling arises and it's, it's, I cannot push it down. Yes, that's right. I can cope with it and move forward with it, but I can't, it won't go away. Yes. And I also think it's unpredictable. I think it changes. That's something else to talk about, that it changes. What triggered me once doesn't trigger me always. I'm going to read what Google said is the definition, just so, you know, we have that perspective also. It says an emotional trigger is anything, including memories, experiences, or events that sparks intense emotional reaction, regardless of your current mood. Emotional triggers are associated with post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay, so I think that's really helpful also because... It says regardless of your mood, which I think is really good because you yeah. can be completely fine, happy, I can be happy mm-hmm. even, um, having a good time. And then I'll see something or hear something or feel something or notice something. And all of a sudden, it's like I feel an emotional outburst of some sort. Yeah. So that's what a trigger looks like. Mm-hmm. So why don't else. you tell what, the story of what happened to you on Tuesday? Yeah. So the reason we're talking about this is because I had, um, I had a, a situation <laughs> on Tuesday when on Monday when I was flying here right when I was flying here on Monday I was in a good mood I woke up went to the airport I was on my way to see Alina I was really excited about it um I was also just in a good like in a good mood overall I felt yeah. well and then all of a sudden we were on the uh by the gate waiting to depart from the gate to take off and the person immediately behind me started screaming this woman started screaming like shrieking almost and um, her husband was unresponsive and she was screaming and shrieking and uh, hitting him, you know, to try and get his attention. And I turned around and I saw his eyes just, they were blank and he was just not moving at all. And I, I can't really even explain what happened because it, it was like my body took over and my brain couldn't formulate thoughts, but I started shaking and sobbing and heaving and I couldn't breathe and I was you blacked out I basically. blacked out onto the woman next to me and like my snot was dripping all over her coat her hands her arms everything and she was trying to hold me and she kept saying 
I know it's scary. I know it's scary. And the EMS people were coming onto the plane and I just kept going further and further and further into this deep, dark hole. And I, I thought to myself, like, I need to make it to the ground. Like I was, I was trying to make it to stable ground again, but I was so overcome with emotion and just shaking. And, um, and it's like my own sobs were loud. Mm-hmm. And the woman eventually who was now traumatized because of my trauma was like, <laughs> she finally said to me, she's like, he's alive. He's alive. He's alive. Look, he's alive. He's alive. And once she said that, I kind of was able to come back into my head a little bit. And I realized that, um, that I was on an airplane, <laughs> that this wasn't Aiden's loss. Like in my head, I had been in the room where I found Aiden again and her screams had evoked, you know, my memory of my screams. And the way my therapist explained it is that my brain thought that I was, my, my body thought that I was that woman living the trauma. My body thought that I was back in that moment. And my brain was saying like, no, you're in a different moment. You're, this is not your loss. And the two colliding with one another led this emotional, you know, extreme reaction. And, and like, I'm sure that was scary for every person on the plane. I'm sure it was terrifying yes. for all the people on the plane that someone almost died on the yes. plane. But the, I think the difference is, is that you, your body literally, literally thought yes that you were in danger. Yes. My, my that body literally are, thought that I had just found my son. Yes. That you were in danger, that an immediate loved one of yours was in danger. Your yes. body was completely triggered and confused. Yes. And even though your brain rationally knew that obviously it was not Aiden and that, you know, you're, you yeah. were not experiencing a loss again. Like I think hearing that woman's really guttural, like very animalistic, like terrified screams was yeah. just really, it sent you right back because you said it reminded you of the way that you sounded, right? Yeah, it did. And, you know, it took me a while to recover even. Okay. So after the the guy was escorted off the plane, like I was left <laughs> sobbing and heaving, like with a plane full of people staring at me. Cause I was like the next mm-hmm. person in trauma. They were like, does she need like, Yeah. Like they were going to like call for me. Um, and then I finally like eventually stood up and I was like, my son died and, um, <laughs> I was really living the trauma of finding him, but I'm okay. <laughs> and then the woman who had held me went to the bathroom and cleaned herself off. I saw her like trying to like clean all the snot <laughs> off of her with a little wipe. She's like, I think I need to go to the bathroom. So, um, you know, I'm okay now, but it definitely stayed with me for probably like 24 hours. Like that, mm-hmm. I felt shaky, jittery, overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So it's an extreme version of a trigger, but 99.9% of the time they don't look like that. Yeah. For me, it could be, uh, just a small feeling of my body saying you're in danger, you're in trauma, you know, like, ouch, that hurts. And my brain saying, but that's not you. Mm-hmm. So even seeing a stroller, like the stroller, mm-hmm. Aiden stroller, when I see people walking down the street with it, my, my, I, I think like, oh, that's mine. Like, or every time I look into a stroller, I look inside to see how old the baby it is. And like, my brain is telling me that's not your baby, but my heart is saying like, but maybe it's my baby. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that on a scale of one to a hundred is what those triggers look like. Sometimes yeah. it's a one mm-hmm. and I'm able to like rationalize really quickly. And sometimes it's a hundred and it's like the emotional blah versus extreme. For yeah. me, my biggest triggers are, I don't want to say the biggest triggers. The things that out and about reliably make me feel a twinge are moms wearing little babies, yeah. moms with four to five-year-old boys and grandparents out with their little grandkids. Those are the three things that make me feel really sad and not, not really sad. Like at this point it's tolerable, but those are things that give me a little twinge. 
specifically those things like a mom with a little baby uh, with a five-year-old girl not triggering yeah you know driving past the pediatrician office makes me feel something um baby wearing moms make me feel something too i i have very frequently found myself so this actually happened for the first time when i was driving to a date but there's a town nearby that i go to for various things and i i was driving to a date one time and on the way there, I was like, this, this seems familiar. This feels familiar. And then I was driving past the Dunkin' Donuts and I thought to myself, oh my God, the GPS is going to take me by Quinn's funeral home. And I was driving and I was, I was getting more and more and more panicked. I, I don't rem- I did not know where the funeral home was. Somebody drove me there, yeah. but I could tell as soon as I saw the Dunkin' Donuts, I was like, oh my God, like, I think I'm near the funeral home. And then there it was. And I had to pull over the car and I was on my way to a date. Sometimes it's the weather. So Quinn was born in September and I had this kind of weird thing where I, I wound up wearing the same shirt that I wore taking him home from the hospital. It was a flannel shirt and I packed it. And again, he was born at the end of September. I was expecting it to be cold when we took him home from the hospital, but it actually was like an 85 degree day the day we brought him home from the hospital. And so I had packed this flannel shirt to wear and I was sweating. We were trying to get his little newborn body into his car seat. Like I was like so hot. And this, this year I wore that flannel shirt one day in September, like early October, and it wound up being a really hot, warm day. And I felt like really overwhelmed by that. Yeah. Cause I was like, oh my God, I'm wearing the same shirt. I'm, I'm overheated. And I was like, yeah. I, and my body was like taken immediately back to being in the hospital parking garage with little baby Quinn. So I have, I have a question about triggers. Like when you are triggered, what do you do in your brain? Like, what does your brain say? What does, like, how do you get yourself out of it? Does time just pass and you're fine? Or do you have to reassure yourself or what kind of happens through your brain? That's a good question. I think, so one of the things that I think over the last almost year yeah. since Quinn died, one of the things that... I've learned is to recognize when I am triggered. And, and if I'm really super overwhelmed, that is still hard to recognize because literally like your brain just shuts down as Judith just like described your brain, like kind of, you know, blacks out basically. Um, But in the, you know, if that's like a level 10 trigger, I think for like a normal level, like three to seven or eight trigger, I'm able to recognize that I've been triggered and at least a part of my brain is able to recognize this is something that I just kind of have to move through. Mm-hmm. Like you're not dying. Your baby's not dying again. You know, like I can just move through this. I agree. One thing that I find helpful and I think one of the reasons that people say that they're so exhausted in grief is because of all this mental work. Like let's say someone goes for a walk and they're not someone who's had trauma. They just go for a walk. Mm-hmm. But if, when I go for a walk, every time I see a family or I see a stroller or I see like a happy family with a dog, because that's what my family looked like, it's like exhaustion, emotional work. My brain is triggered and then I have to relax myself. And it's, I don't have like a mantra or anything. I just sit with the discomfort. I just say, this is hard. That hurts. You yeah. know, I don't try and talk myself out of it. I just say, this really hurts. I think one thing I've gotten better at is vocalizing to the people around me when I'm triggered. Mm-hmm. I remember specifically one day over July 4th weekend when I was with my mom in Yosemite, I had gotten a negative pregnancy test in the morning. And then we went to this little pond area and there were all these children and babies and families. And I was so triggered, but I didn't have the tools at that time to say to my mom, I'm triggered. I need to go home. To me, the antidote to being intensely triggered is to be in a quiet, dark space Mm -hmm. where there's no stimulus. Right. So because I didn't say anything, 
I just became very heightened and then everything was triggering and I ended up disabled by the end of the day. I think that, I think, I think it's natural when you're grieving, when you're traumatized as we are to, for a little bit, like kind of have to retreat into a very safe space. Yeah. So it obviously in the very beginning, even your own home is triggering. Mm-hmm. Like you walk around your house, you see like a pacifier mm-hmm. out, you walk up the stairs and you remember carrying your baby up the stairs, mm-hmm. you're in bed and you remember nursing your baby in bed. Like even your own home is triggering, but soon over time, like, and relatively quickly, the tr- it triggers within your own home dissipate. Yeah. And so, you know, cause you've now faced them and moved through them a couple of times. So those carry less weight. So then in the very beginning, you know, you're, 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 you build this like little teeny tiny safe space around you. Like your bed becomes a safe space. You've, you've out, all the triggers are now they've lost their, their weight in your bed. So your bed is safe. And then, you know, you can also be in the living room and that feels safe. And then, you know, I remember it was a big deal when I went for my first walk around my neighborhood after Quinn died, which honestly was probably like six weeks after he died, because I used to take him on so many walks around the neighborhood in the baby carrier. And it, it was really, really hard that first walk. Like I was extremely, like literally I was in, like my heart rate was elevated. Like I was crying, like just a walk around my block in my own neighborhood was that triggering for me. And, you know over time that became safe, Mm -hmm. you know, like I had to face those little triggers. So I think, so maybe if you're like, I feel like if you see somebody who's in the thralls, like in, in new grief, like, and they seem like they're like retreating into themselves, like they have to do that because literally existing with your eyes open is so hard. Yeah. I would recommend somebody who's trying to support someone in grief. Um, when you see the person who is triggered, offer to them like do you want to go home now do you need to go lay down in bed because they might feel a sense of obligation to still be there mm-hmm. you know but they might need the permission and at this point I don't need the permission I just do what I know myself <laughs> I, what I need but at that time in the beginning like we might need the permission to be like okay you look a little overwhelmed do you want to go home is this you know sometimes even being out for longer than an hour in a busy place is so much for me so much stimulus that it's too much and I have to go home after an hour And that's okay. You know, that's, that's how I have to heal. And I think maybe it, maybe I think there, I I think that sometimes it might appear weak to make those decisions to Mm -hmm. to retreat and protect yourself. But I actually think there's a real strength that comes, that comes from that, from saying like, I cannot be at the grocery store right now. I'm going to leave my cart here and I'm going to go to bed. Do you remember when I was at Bed Bath & Beyond and I got really triggered? Yeah. And you just left. I left. I I went to Bed Bath & Beyond. This was um back in August when I was about to move into, um move out of, you know, the home I shared with Chloe and move into this apartment. Um, And I went to Bed Bath & Beyond to like, just get a couple things that I knew that I would need to, you know, cause we only had one of them cause we were <laughs> married, you know, and sharing a life. And I had a shopping cart full of stuff and I texted you, or did I call you? I was like, I'm at Bed Bath & Beyond and I am extremely overwhelmed. Like I, I am, I, I was overcome. It started because, um, that Taylor Swift song, what is it? Exile with Bon, bon Iver. Is that his name? Yeah. That came on and I, this was before I really got into my Taylor Swift phase, <laughs> but that song is really a very raw, like, portrayal of a breakup I, I feel 
And it just felt so, it was, it was so unimaginable. Like I was like, you know, I had a shopping cart and I was getting, you know, tongs. And like, I was remembering that Chloe got me, Chloe got me like tongs for, for a gift one time, like really nice, like tongs that like collapse. Like, and so I was like, like literally just walking around the store. I was like, oh, I remember when we picked out plates, like, you know, like it's like everything was it's so like much. one little thing. And I had, it. yeah. And I had this whole huge cart. I probably had like $400 worth of stuff in my shopping cart. And I was like, I cannot be here anymore. And I felt terrible, but I just left my full cart and I walked right out of the store. That was the right choice. Yeah, it was. That was a hundred percent the right choice. Yeah. I, feel with time the triggers have become less intense and less frequent agreed so I assume with even more time that there will be I think it will always be triggering to have a man die behind me on an airplane Mm -hmm. but I think that almost 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 died from my understanding he made it off the plane in life although she might have been lying to me just to get me off her but I really don't (laughs) think she I don't think she does but um yeah, I think that that will always be very triggering. But in terms of the small triggers, I think that with time, they become less intense and less painful. Yeah. And I assume that with time, certain songs will have new meanings to me. Certain clothes will have new meanings to me. As the, Like instead of it being like the last time I heard this song, I was with my son. They'll be like, well, the last time I heard this song was when I was at the market listening to the song. This is not me my son. This is my son. So like after 10 times listening to the song, you start to associate it with something new. Mm-hmm. And that's just part of the passage of time. Yeah. Here's something that happened for me. So like my son died. And so I unfollowed literally if you, if I know you in real life and you have a child, I've unfollowed you on social media. I mean, I, I still follow you, but I've muted you or whatever I can do so that I don't see you in my feed because I, it was just too hard. It was too hard to see kids and babies. And then of course, you know, my son died. So I joined all of these like infant loss groups. So then it was like, my feed was filled with all dead babies. And then I was like, that's too triggering. So if I had to unfollow those. If you're too. wondering why on our social media, we have hundreds of followers, but we only follow 100 people. It's because Alina was triggered by all the people who had also experienced loss. So she went through and unfollowed. I had followed hundreds of people and Alina unfollowed them all. But I all, I want to give everyone permission out there. Like it's, you know, us talking about our children yeah. triggers you. You put a trigger warning on every single episode. Honestly, it feels ridiculous. It feels absolutely ridiculous to put a trigger warning on a podcast about dead babies. Like, of course, every single episode of this podcast is triggering. I'm yeah. putting a trigger warning on this one. This trigger warning is going to be like trigger warning. This is about triggers. If you've been triggered, you might not want to listen. I- Social media is full of triggers. Oh my gosh. My favorite buttons are the mute and unfollow. Same. Oh my God. But I want to know how you feel about, because you kept Instagram. I left Instagram. Yeah. I left Instagram and I don't, I don't go on Facebook much. So how do you handle, I mean, you removed everyone. Yeah. That's what you did. I muted everybody. And every once in a while, I like check in on people that I want to see what's up with their families. But like, I just couldn't bear that, especially because I was also, my marriage was also, yeah. you know, disintegrating. So it was like, it was just too much to see people with their like happy husbands and their happy babies. I just couldn't. And let's say you're the person, okay, this is a question. Mm-hmm. So for example, me, I'm pregnant. So mm-hmm. it makes me think quadruple the amount of times if I should post something mm-hmm. when the baby's born, because I know how painful it no, is. No, I think it's the responsibility of the person who's triggered to set their own boundaries. I really do. Like, I don't want, I don't want people to not post stuff of their happy babies and happy husbands and families. Like that's their, that's their joy that I'm happy for them to share. But like, I, I hope that they would understand that like, I'm not going to be liking or commenting on anybody's because I'm not looking at it. I've muted them, you know? That's an interesting question. Like, whose responsibility is it? This actually reminds me of the holiday card 
situation. Yeah, that's because a really good you point. Have, you felt like your holiday card just is hard to assemble. Mm-hmm. Getting everyone else's happy holiday card was really hard to yeah. see. That's actually, let's talk about that. Because I, so I posted on our Instagram. You guys should go back and check it out. Judith, Judith made me the funniest holiday card. A real holiday a card. A real, true, honest holiday yeah. card. And I, maybe I'll, I'll probably repost it to our stories when this episode airs so that you guys yes. can go back and see it if you, if you missed it. But, um, I, I like hemmed and hawed about holiday cards this year because obviously like, so last, you know, last Christmas I did send out a card with, you know, my, hus- my husband and my baby and, cats. and our cats. And, um, I've sent them out ever since we got married. I've sent out a holiday card, um, with, you know, my family my little nuclear family, which until last year was just us and the cats, but you know, last year had Quinn in it also. And so this year, like my family looks really different. It's just me and the cats. Um, and so I decided like back in like October or September, I was like, I'm going to send a holiday card. And I like picked it out and I decided what I was going to put on it. And I went ahead and I ordered them and like, that was all fine. Like I, I honestly, like it was like less hard than I was expecting. Like I took a, just a selfie of me and the cats and I put that on the front and on the back, I put the photo, um, that we used on our card last year, um, and just said, you know, this was Christmas 2020, you know, with Chloe, yeah, <laughs> Alina, Quinn, Miguel, and Tulio. Those are our cats. Um, and then in, in the envelope, I did also include a couple pictures of Quinn and Which of I me and Quinn. Yeah. Cause like, and I, a couple people who got my card have said like, that they are so happy to have a picture of Quinn that they can put up in their home. And, um, you know, I'm happy to share him in that way. And I didn't put a lot of pictures of him on social media when he was alive. So, um, I think it's probably, people probably feel like they're happy to have a theirs that they can, you know, do what they want with. But I also, you know, so I sent out this card and then I was also feeling like worried about receiving holiday cards. Like I, 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 <laughs> was like, do I want to get the cards? Like they're going to be so painful, but I came to the conclusion that I did want to get the cards because to me, there's something that feels a little bit like paternalistic or like I I was offended at the idea that someone else would decide for me what I could handle. You know, like I still, just because my baby died doesn't mean I want to be like cut out of everybody's holiday celebrations. Like, yeah, maybe I'll decide to not participate. Sorry, mom and dad. (laughs) But maybe maybe the answer is, ask your grieving person. Yeah. Like, say, I'm sending out my holiday cards this year. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wondering if this will be painful for you. Would you like me to send you one? Or yes. would you not like me to send you one? Because I can think I would also, I would feel like if I, if no one, it would hurt my feelings. If no one sent me one. I've gotten fewer cards this year, but it hurts so much to receive them too. Mm-hmm. So it's like a catch 22. And I feel like the best way to do it is to put the grieving person in control yeah. and let them know that you will show up or hold back based on their needs at the time. And also, I will also say like, like I was saying about boundaries, like the grieving person needs to have their own boundaries, like about social media. Like I also like, I, you can tell when something's a Christmas card when it comes in the mail and I would wait to open them until I felt like I was ready to open them. Like I knew when I opened it, I was going to see a happy family. So I was like, I'm going to set this aside and I'll open it, you know, in a couple days when I'm ready. Yeah. I also want to add, and this is just really important that, that triggers change. So if you're going to ask your grieving person, like I'm sending out a holiday card this year, uh-huh. I'm, I want to know if this will be difficult for you. If it is difficult, would you, would you like me to not send you one this year? Ask them again that next year. Yeah. Cause next year, the answer might be different. It and probably will be different. I'll tell you, I had the situation with one of my friends right after Aiden died. She, I found out she was, pre- I mean, right after she, I knew she was trying. And right after Aiden died, I w- she would call me and I was constantly terrified 
that she was going to tell me she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so I had told a mutual friend of ours, I was like, I don't even want to know. She doesn't have to tell me. Just tell me when the baby's here. I don't need to know. <laughs> and she never told me. And I found out from someone else's husband at a dinner table six months later. And that was hard for me to know also. And my answer now would have been different. Yeah. When Aiden first died, I didn't want to know. Right. But now six months later, I do want to know. And right. when I spoke to her yesterday, I said, text me when the baby's born. Mm-hmm. Send me a picture because I'm ready for that now. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that is so complicated. When you speak up for yourself once, people listen to that and they just assume that's the way you want it forever. Yeah. Things change. And yeah. the, question, the, the thing to do is constantly check in. And chicken with yourself. We're and growing our skin back. We're, We're growing, growing our skin, skin back. back. Yeah. Because things change. And, and I suspect one day I'll want to rejoin a, a Passover Seder. Yeah. I'm not ready yet. But like, don't never invite me ever again. Right. You know, let me say yes or let me say no. Yeah. I've had a lot of people not tell me things. Like a lot of people not tell me they're pregnant. I wasn't invited to a bunch of people's birthday parties because they assumed I wouldn't want to go. Yeah, I think always just invite, like, let the grieving person decide. Yeah. I don't know. I think we're like going all in circles because I think part of it is like you do want to try to anticipate their needs, but you also you do have to kind of trust them to be able to make their own decisions about what they can handle. So the best thing to do is to ask. I think yeah, just ask. Yeah, just and ask. they'll appreciate that you're thinking about it. Mm-hmm. You guys, we just took a quick pause because Judith got a call because I got a job. Yay! <laughs> I got a job, and I'm really proud of myself because I negotiated. Yeah. And they took, like, I, by the way, the number that we were discussing, yeah. she didn't even, like, meet me halfway. Like, she that always makes like, me feel like you should have asked for more. But, uh, but, but I, I don't think, care. Yeah, <laughs> you're so happy. <laughs> I'm so happy. Yeah. So she took the number and that made me happy. I and think they, I think they really liked you and they really wanted you to Yeah, but then I told them I was pregnant and then I don't know if they really liked me after that. But, um, but I'm really excited about it because I think that this is a job that I will be good at. And I think it's a job that I enjoy. And I think it's really going to work for my life. So I'm really hopeful that they don't take enough projects because I'm pregnant and they still like yeah. let me work. But I'm really excited. Yeah. I feel like this is such good news. I really needed, I, know. I needed to know that I was capable, you know? Yeah. And so like, that Wednesday. I said, I said this to you last night, but like two weeks ago. Yeah. Was when we was when we recorded those two episodes of the yeah. really hard days that you had. Yeah, and look how much has changed since then. Yeah, we're moving. Yeah, we both have jobs. Uh huh. The anatomy scan went well. Yeah, like life maybe doesn't have to be bad. It'll be it'll be it won't be great, but it'll be better. It could be better. Yeah, things are on the right better. track for you. I think it feels like I'm constantly expecting the worst to happen, yeah. and I'm so shocked when I <laughs> when the worst does not happen. I'm so shocked, but I'm also so excited that maybe like I'm normal. Like maybe my life is going to be like a normal amount of good again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the average number of things that happen to me will be more positive than negative as opposed to every single thing being bad. Right. Okay. That gives me hope. I know. Like a flicker of hope. Like even if this job doesn't work out, that a job can work out, that someone wants me Mm -hmm. and they want to pay me money to like have a brain. That's right. That feels good. Yeah. Okay back, to- <laughs> okay, back to being fr- freaked out of the grocery store. Yeah. What were we talking about? I don't even know. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I was about to talk about criminal history. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I know I sound like I commit a lot of crimes, but I promise I don't. And I will- it's only been since getting inside that my 
criminal activity has increased. But I, it was Halloween, and we should talk about Halloween because Halloween is the most triggering Such holiday. Trigger. It's a horrific holiday, yeah. and I'm so passionate about this. I'm sorry, I will never get over all of the decorations with skeletons and stuff. Like to me, it just screams that you have lived a privileged life where you've never found a dead body. And the thing that's kind of crazy is like, there's so many other really fun ways to decorate for Halloween that are not dead human bodies. Yes, pumpkins. Yes, pumpkins. Put up a cute ghost. Put up a little witch. Like, that's adorable. We love that. Like, put up fun lights. Like, there's so many things you can decorate for Halloween. Yes, cats. Black cats. We love cats. I love cats. Yeah. There's no reason to have a bloody, gory body on your front lawn. Why don't you tell the story about what you did this year? Okay, I had a minor situation, okay? I, there was a house a couple blocks away from my house on the route that I take my dog that had two dead baby decorations on their driveway, like at the, at the end of their driveway. So it was in your face and the baby decorations looked very realistic. They were not cartoon babies. They were real babies and they were blue, which was terrifying. And they were plump and cute babies and they didn't have like black and guts all over them. They looked like just dead babies. Like, I think that was the point. And but, we know what that looks like. And we know what that looks like. Yeah. And my husband would come home from walking the dog and he would be shaking. And we tried to avoid that block. But the reality is, even if I kn- didn't go on that block, I knew the dead babies were there yes. a block over. Yes. If I went any direction, I was hyper aware of where they were. It felt like they were following me. And they were so triggering and so hurtful and so insensitive. One night, in the middle of the night, (laughs) I stole them. (laughs) And I called Lena and I was like, Lena, I've got a dead baby in my trunk. So here's here's from my perspective what happened. You guys know Judith calls me all the time. All the time. And I call her every once in a while. Um, Uh, But I always answer when you call. Yes. Almost always. And so I got a call from her at like what was 1 a.m. my time. Which was like yeah. 10 p.m. your time. Probably. It was like 11. 11 yeah. So, so it was, it was the middle of the night for me. I got a call from her and I was like, she would not call me unless this was something serious. Yeah. So I picked up the phone and you, your voice did not sound good. Your voice was very <laughs> triggered. You sounded triggered. And you go, I just committed a crime. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think to my credit, I was like, all right, tell me about it. Yeah, you were very good. <laughs> because I had told another law school friend of mine who's a lawyer and she said, I want you to know that I will represent you. She was like, I will represent you. And I promise you, we will take care of this. Don't worry. I need you to tell me the full truth of what happened. (laughs) And then I told her, she was like, that is not, you're not going to need my services. (laughs) (laughs) But I called you and I called my mom because the reason I was calling them is because I had to find a way to dispose of the dead baby decorations. Where was I supposed to put them? That was not a thought through plan on my part. No. So I went to the McDonald's thinking I could put them in the dumpster in the McDonald's. But do you know they lock dumpsters at McDonald's? It's a locked dumpster. So I went to all these stores in the alley trying to find the dumpster <laughs> to dump it in. But they, they were all locked. So finally, I called my mom. Also, after I called you, I yeah. called my mom. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I ended up, maybe you were on the phone for this part. I was like, there's someone had put their trash can out because yes, it was, was trash day. It was trash day. And so I just drove like a couple miles away from where I'd stolen the dead babies and I threw them away in some poor guy's trash can. And I, I, you know, I walked by that house 
every day after feeling good <laughs> because i just felt a little piece of like justice had been served yes and it felt like right you so often you are such a teeny peon against the big mean triggers you can't do anything about them but like this felt so good that i was able to like act on it yeah. now my therapist was not a fan of this activity and she felt pretty strongly that i could have handled it in a healthier way healthier maybe. way and a more sustainable way like she felt like sure. i should have written them a letter explaining how triggering it was so that they don't put dead babies up next year but i told her that this made me feel powerful yeah <laughs> and so she said you know it's not my place to judge which god bless her for saying that i i remember i think what i said to you was like they deserve to have those statues yeah. stolen they absolutely because i sent it. you a picture of them yeah i remember it was like I said, it was the middle of the night and I said to you, I was like, do not send me the pictures now yeah. because I don't want to see them in the yes. middle of the night. But the next morning I was like, okay, send the pictures. <laughs> what did you think? I thought they were incredibly insensitive like and yeah, I mean, they looked like dead babies. They do look like dead babies. They yeah. look like dead babies. And when I walked past that house a few days later, they're, um, they had replaced it, but not with dead babies with like some generic pumpkin thing. And I was much happier and I felt comfortable with that. And I don't know how much they paid for those dead babies. Like I'm, I, I would be happy to write them a check for however much it is. Um, but it was so thoughtless and I would hope that people, now that they know how sensitive it is for people who are going through something traumatic, like share this, share this information with the people around you that Halloween might be a fun holiday for you, but for other people, it's really, really difficult. And let's try and be a more sensitive, kind-hearted society where we're able to be sensitive to those in pain, mm -hmm. you know? And if that means you have a different decoration, like that's a small price to pay for knowing that they're not, um, they're not triggering some poor woman who just watched their son die. That's right. Anyway, that was my crime. They have yet to come after me, I have to say. <laughs> they haven't come after me. My husband was worried that, that they had like a ring camera mm -hmm. and they were going to, and I would love if, if in fact they do have a ring cam, I would love to see that footage of right. you. <laughs> I would love to see it too, because let me tell you what happened. I went up to them on these little pillars by the end of the driveway and I was like looking at the dead baby and the dead baby was looking at me and I was looking at it and we were like staring at each other back and forth. And I was like, should I do this? Should I not do this? Should I do this? Should I not do this? It's so mean. I was like, but it's not yours, but it's yours, but it's not yours. I had this whole dilemma that I think you could watch play out. And then finally I touched it to see how heavy it was and it wobbled and I was like, it's mine. <laughs> I dashed off their driveway into my car and ran off. But oh my gosh. They haven't come for me yet. If you are listening to this and that was your house, I'm not really that sorry, but I will pay you back. <laughs> okay, is there anything else that we want to add? Next week, the 20th. This is going out on the 20th. Right. So on the 27th, yeah. we have our first guest. Yeah. Am I allowed to say? Yeah. We are having, drum roll please. <laughs> Chloe! <laughs> yeah! We're gonna get to hear about what it's been like transitioning and then having your son die. Yeah. We're gonna get to learn about what her bottom looks like and how her bottom looks different than Alina's bottom. Yeah. And um, I think it's gonna be a great, great, great episode. And I know she's really excited to be a part of this. So, yeah. Let's give Chloe a warm welcome next week when she joins us. Bye, guys. To all of our wonderful new friends, we wanna hear from you. Email us at as long as I'm living podcast at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at as long as I'm living podcast. We'll get back to you as soon as our grieving brains allow. Yay!